uh, welcome once again to Swing Thoughts, the uh, mental performance podcast. I don't know, is it a podcast or is it more like an instructional mantra? Uh, great to be with you on TSN and, of course, uh, around the world. You can hear this program on iTunes and other places you download podcasts. My name is Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, Golf Spiritual Leader, along with my dear friend, dear, dear friend, Timothy O'Connor, a mental performance coach of the uh, Glen Abbey Golf Academy and the uh, head coach of the Guelph Griffins Golf Team, available for uh, private consultations, not children's birthday parties, unless your child is a prodigy. <laughs> hey, How are kids. you this morning, sir? Heard you were out late last night. Well, I wasn't that late. It was just, uh, it was just, I was just out. Were you uh, <laughs> like with Toronto people and looking at all that and talking about politics and stuff? No, actually, not actually, uh, not talking about politics at all. Um, what about no, the I just stock want, market? I just wanted to get back to the idea of you doing your uh, your private coaching at kids' birthday parties. Hey, kids. I've got a special treat for you today. What is it, Daddy? Is it a clown, a magician? No. A guy's going to talk to me about how to get my golf game better. You kids just sit over in the corner and, you know, while I ask him questions about my grip. <laughs> and, 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 and how do you self in a How is it? Right. How is this like your life that you can't make a putt and you forget to make calls and particularly tell your wife when you're going to be out? Uh, this program is brought to you by TaylorMade, the M5, M6 drivers. Oh, my goodness. Uh, make sure you get fit, though. Uh, the TaylorMade Performance Center, uh, or you get fit anywhere across the country. Um, it really has made a difference in so many golfers' lives. You can see it on tour, but you can see it every weekend uh, when you play at your local uh, golf emporium. Also brought to you by Adidas. The other day, Tim and I, well, we'll talk about this, but we were we found ourselves in the same place at the same time at a golf course, and it was uh, beautiful, but we were just... I i didn't tell you this when I saw you, but... like, Because we, we both wear Adidas clothing, obviously. Head to toe. Head to toe, but we didn't all order the same stuff, so when I see you, I'm like, oh, man. I always have, like... I get that feeling when you're, like, out at a restaurant and somebody exactly. orders something, and you're like, why didn't I get that? So when I saw you, I was I, like... I said the same thing. You had those pants, and I went... And then I realized when I got home... I do have those pants, but in but in green. Of course, you, you have, have those pants. In, you have them in black. I've been black. Anyway, when I saw you, I was like, "Dude, I should have ordered that top. That's cool." Yeah, it's like the cognitive dissonance. Yeah, like the restaurant thing. Yeah, well, and and my uh, lady friend Rachel, she is the way better orderer than me because I'm like most guys. I'm impatient. I look at the menu quickly. I go, "Okay, I'll have his, some appetizer," and then I order really quick. And but she studies the menu, and invariably oh, yeah. when it shows up, it's always better than my thing. I heard the greatest bit the other day about that cognitive dissonant thing, particularly at a restaurant. So it just always happens, you know. So, like, you order the filet mignon. Right. And it comes. And then your partner ordered the peanut butter sandwich. You went, oh, you got the peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> That's right. Everything always looks better on the other side of whatever. Uh, yes, great show today. We're looking forward to and I don't have confirmation, but I'll just say that a, a very good friend of the show Someone that we're both uh, admirers of, Dr. Ed Collins, will be here from uh, Ireland. Uh, I'm just trying to remember what his. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. He's a sport. He's a skill acquisition yes, expert. That's and, it. And a PhD, so a very smart person who uh, who actually he teaches people, he coaches 
athletes of all kinds. His right. big thing is how do you perform on the golf on the golf course or the soccer pitch or whatever. Yeah, his uh, the I love the motto from that company he runs. It's uh, skill acquisition, ability by birth, skill by work. And uh, he is uh, hopefully going to be part of the show in our second segment uh, to begin with today. And I, you know, a lot. We're, I think one of the things you wanted to talk to Ed about, and I'd love to hear it, the conversation, is kind of the season of Rory and what we can learn from a guy that is, you know, arguably one of the best people that ever picked up a golf club. But you know, what was his breakthrough, and how it had very little to do with the physical skill acquisition. Yeah, the big piece for Rory this year has been a real change in how he sees himself and how he relates to the game. Because like a lot of us, Rory's identity, his sense of himself would go up and down with his golf scores. And, you know, and you can imagine what a guy would go through. So early in his career, he comes out a little bit like uh, a guy like Jordan Spieth, kind of takes the world by storm wins his four majors, and then things start to dry up. And then, you know, putting comes, putting goes, miscuts, cuts, all that kind of thing. And so he starts to really question himself. And, you know, he was going through some interesting things in his personal life, too. He was, I think he was engaged to that tennis star, Wozniak, I think. Mm-hmm. That went away. And so he's had to really kind of grow up quickly. And a lot of people do in their, in their late 20s. But the key thing for Rory and it was a, a really amazing um, discussion on the panel with Shambly, Rich Lerner, and um, Nobolo after he won the players. And what he said was that in the past, he's tended to equate his performance with himself. And he said, so if he shoots 64, Rory, I'm a good person. Shoot 74, not so good. Sure. Uh- and what he really learned this year is that, no, and I love what he said. He said that, Regardless of what I shoot, people will love me who who are in my who who love me will still love me, and I just thought that distilled it perfectly. And I think at the time when he was saying those things in his press conferences earlier in in this golf season, which is now wrapped up, you know, you and I took note, of course, because you know we both found it you know great, but also unusual for a golfer or an athlete, a professional to really talk about being as he's disconnected from or what was the phrase sort of i am not my golf score right you know so to detach from the number but i think and this is what i wanted to talk about with you before we get into ed why is it that and i and i think you're perfectly you're the perfect person to have this discussion with which is a lot of golfers think that saving strokes is about you know becoming a much better golf swinger but as you and I both know, you know, golf swings come and go. It's how you, what kind of attitude you bring. But more, more importantly, maybe, is what is your self-image as a golfer? And I think a lot of men in particular, women too, but, you know, men being so ego-driven, that I think a lot of our lack of progress in the scoring department comes from a, a belief that maybe we're just not good enough. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah. Well, so much of of the way we show up in the world is based on our belief system. How do we see ourselves? And and you know, and 
some people wonder like, oh, I don't know, what's he talking about? Well, in your worst moments, when th- you know, when when you know, <laughs> you, you you've you know, in golf, let's say you've a couple of three putts in a row, or you hit a really stupid shot, or or maybe in your relationship, you know, you've uh, you've just had an argument with your partner, and there's a broken dish on the floor, and and you're at you know highly stressed. And so, what are the names you call yourself? You know, I am what? I'm a loser. I I'm a choker. Whatever, because um, that is based on a belief system at your core of who you are, and usually time it's not very good <laughs> and unfortunately that's what follows us around a lot so you know someone who maybe had a father who occasionally raged at them about something you know you loser well in those hard moments that was that's what comes up well and speaking of fathers you know if you look at and we'll use professional golfers at the beginning of this example but i'm going to use uh, a personal anecdote at the end which is so Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy. If you look at the kind of golf training early on they got, and usually it was from their fathers, but in some cases it was mothers as well, Keegan Bradley. Um, yep. If you look at the way that they were introduced to the game, in Tiger's case especially, it was basically told to him early on it's okay to be a champion. Tiger Woods never thought of himself as somebody that was trying to make cuts, was hoping to be good enough to compete. All he ever knew at every stage of his golf life and his, and his, and his own life. Because, you know, I, yeah, I know we all know I love Tiger, but the kid, went to, the kid went to Stanford. You can't get into Stanford just on being a good golfer. So he was obviously a disciplined student athlete as well. The point I'm trying to make is a lot of us say, oh, man, if I could just learn this, I could break 90 or 85 or 80. But I think what holds us back is maybe suspecting that no matter what we do and no matter how many lessons we take, maybe we're just not quite good enough to get to that level. And I think that is the thing that holds a lot of golfers back. They just don't see them. Well, that's and I'll I'll finish by saying that is why. When a golfer gets out of their comfort zone score wise, they're, you know, even for the first seven holes or whatever that number is, they, we all find a way to get back to safety of mediocrity. Exactly. And that's really interesting. Like Mo used to call it um, comfort zone. So, you know, if someone finds themselves, holy crap, uh, I'm not used to being this under par or, Wow, I'm I'm only this over par, and this isn't. They're they're out of their comfort zone, and the reason is it's not congruent with their belief system. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And they're not, and and what that's connected with is the story. Yeah, everyone's got a story, and and you know it, it's it's going along, and you got a good game, and then it goes into the the dumper, and it goes, well, this is what always happens. You know, I'm a choker. Uh, I can't, you know, coming down the stretch, I, I leave putt short or I start, you know, blading chips and stuff. That's just what happens. And again, so it's right what you're saying. It's like we're caught in this story and that's connected to to a belief system. And none of it is true. That's that's the nugget is that these stories that we tell ourselves and 
and it happens on a daily basis. You know, so when you, well, and we, I'm not getting the promotion, the reason I don't make it is the story. So, but and 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 going to what you said, it, none of it is true. So, and it is a story. But we all we all find ourselves telling ourselves that. So this weekend, when you're golfing, maybe there is there is there a way to kind of clean the slate, like if it was an etch a sketch, to shake mm-hmm. it up and clear it, so that you go out and play golf this weekend, maybe with a, a a different picture in your mind of what you're capable of doing. Awareness. By the way, this is all getting to something, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's applicable because if you're a '90s shooter. Part of what keeps you shooting in the 90s is because you think at some point, well, that's all you deserve or, you know, again, we're not we're we're amateur psychologists. But I think in the golf realm, a lot of what holds us back is this idea that it's, you know, not, not to get not to get too complicated and, you know, Nietzsche and Freud, but. But something about us as, as golfers doesn't see ourselves as good as the next person who can shoot whatever number we think we'd like to shoot, you know? Yeah, again, belief system. So we have this usually unconscious belief system, and in some terms it's called a shadow. It's a part of us that we we don't even sometimes know it's there, or we, we might know this belief system is there, so we, we numb it maybe with alcohol or constant thinking and that type of thing. And that becomes the script that runs your life. And Mm -hmm. people have probably heard this one before. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you see yourself as the 90 shooter, well, your belief system will help you shoot 90. So the key question is, okay, how do I stop this? And and it, it doesn't start, you know, like flipping a switch. It starts with awareness. And awareness is what am I doing right now? What am I paying attention to? So, so the thing that I'll invite golfers to look at is that when they're playing this weekend is when you find yourself in the story or going down that road of, oh, here we go, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm leaving putt short again or something. Just catch yourself and go like, oh, I'm caught in the story right now. Yeah. Just leave it. And the way you can do that is just to connect with something outside of yourself. It could be looking at the trees, the leaves, and the wind, listening to the, you know, feeling the, the breeze. Make it physical. Feel your feet on the ground, the, the breeze on your cheek. Hear the birds. Listen better to your, to your buddies. You get outside of yourself, and that's, and that's a really good start. Everything starts with awareness. If we're caught in our stories, they have us. But we can, by using awareness, go, oh, I'm caught in this thing again. That's not how, that doesn't serve me. So I'm going to do something else. In simple terms, you know, just because you've missed a putt, whether it was for, uh, you know, whether you miss it for a birdie or it's the third putt, and I can tell you from experience, you know, keeping track of the times you three putt is just making that story worse and as you say it becomes it it captures you it becomes you know because because there are times when you're going to miss a putt and if for some reason if you miss it on the first hole maybe it doesn't have the same significance as the 18th hole but in reality it has the exact same significance every shot you hit in a round of golf is the exact same Num- it's like this is uh, something in this book, the uh, golf from point A people. <clears throat> I love this idea that 
it, it's just part of this whole number. It's not an. It's just. It's not this specific thing. It's the same. If you shoot ninety-two, it's just one of your ninety-two shots. That's right. Now I'm going to throw this back to you because I think this has been a key part of your work, particular, particularly yeah. in the last in the last year. You had a tough time in the. Uh, I think it was the Canadian Mid Am. Uh, the Greens yes. at Victoria. In were Victoria. Just they're driving you nuts, and I know this might be replaying uh, repressed stuff. Because <laughs> well, I four-putted twice and three-putted twice in the same round. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, so let me ask you, did you find yourself at that time in a story of, oh, I guess I'm just this or I'm yep. that? And I think some of your – so, yes. So, so let me ask you, how did you move from that place of getting stuck in this story and kind of the self – fulfilling prophecy and how did you move to this other place where you're kind of i i judge that you're just able to play shot by shot now <clears throat> excuse me well closer i'll tell you well the, the first thing i did was uh, i had a, a a session with our friend dr carl morris and he told me to stop it <laughs> he did he said <laughs> he's so funny he's like okay you have to stop this now we all know you bob newhart sketch of the psychiatrist just, just stop it. Just stop it, he said. He, he basically had me uh, write a paragraph uh, nice. describing, you know, my, you know, what had happened um, and how I was going to leave that behind. And, and, I, and I did it because the thing about the subconscious is a lot of what Tim and I are talking about is all happening at a subconscious level. It's not. And that's why what you say about awareness, whether it's the awareness of external factors, what what you're what you described is bringing bringing yourself back to this moment mm -hmm. and uh and so that's how i started it i said you know i i wrote a little paragraph saying okay well from this moment forward i'm no longer going to link you know putts as part of a story of how i putted and i can three putt now as people do i went to cabot you know cliffs there a couple weeks ago and I th the, all the bogeys I made for the week were three putting greens, but they were 90 foot putts over a, you know, an ups yeah, exactly. So, it, and I could have easily gone, oh man, it's too bad because I played so good, but blah, blah, blah. But it's just yeah, like, exactly. it's just part of the game. And so that's how I did it. Becoming more aware that I was doing it, that's step one. And then deciding that I would, for, from this point forward, not dis, you know not have them all be part of the, the stories of the three putts. You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, but we yeah. all do that. It's like you leave the, the course the other day and you go, wow, I really hit it good. But a couple times I pull hooked it. I guess I'm just a guy that pull hook shots. Well, I get, you know, if and, and one of the things, again, the, the golf from point A people wrote, which is, and it happened. In every round of golf that you've seen a champion make, uh, you know, like Rory McIlroy, <clears throat> on his way to winning, he hit balls in bunkers, he had a three putt, he made bogeys. It, it, it's part of the game. It's happened. The problem is when it happens to us, we think we're so unique, but it's not. We, we all, we've all had good rounds with calamitous things happening on the way to that score. Yeah. It's a lot like what, what uh, our good friend uh, Charles Fitzsimmons talks about, is that ability to detach and accept. Because it happens that you hit great putts, oh, and they don't go in. That's right. And you can hit a crappy putt. You can, like, you know, bounce the, <laughs> the putter behind the ball. Yes, right, hit the ground. And it goes in. I know. Listen, you know. we played, Tim and I played men's night the other night, 
Uh, we didn't play together, unfortunately, although the Tim Howard Summit is coming soon. So we played uh, men's night at my golf course, and the greens had been French, freshly punched. Oh. And I shot, uh, I think it was 76. I made uh, good with that with yes. the green. I made five bogeys and one birdie. But in a, there was a stretch toward the end of the round where three out of four holes, I had it within six or seven feet of the hole. I just, I, I kind of caught a little nice run there, and I made nothing. I lipped out a couple of those because Ooh. literally the ball bounced yeah. on on the holes in the ground, and no par- golf. Yeah, and no part of that. Did I go? Oh, just because I'm like, if only they weren't punched. I, yeah. This could have been the round. The, well, or, or I, you know, but I, but I, my takeaway was, wow, I really hit some shots down the stretch there. I, I, I hit those shots pretty well. Um, versus, you know, that story of, you know, I missed those putts and damn those greens. Like, you know, when I got to the golf course that day, all anyone was talking about was the greens were punched, and I'm like. Listen, I grew up in Moose Jaw, but it barely even had greens. So, you know, it's it's all it's all bonus. Like literally, Do you guys have I have the sand greens. I, the I was going to say my first golf experience was we're on greens made of sand. You had to you had to they had this thing where you had to push the, you know, you had to flatten the sand so you could put on it. So when guys talk about holes and aeration, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. But but there is a there is unless you frame it differently you can really get into wow i could have shot a great round if the ball hadn't have bounced in and out of those holes well so what you know next time as you said maybe next time you hit a putt and it bounces in from one of those holes that's right but it's just the story i I remember my university of guelph a couple of the players in in one of our first tournaments out east last week uh, last year and they were missing some putts and and one of the guys comes up he goes he says, I can't make a putt. I just looked at him. I said, get out of your freaking story. Just let it go. Just play your best. And just it, he just – so that became a theme of our team last year was don't get caught up in your story. Um, Dr. Ed Collins is uh, standing by. He's uh, in uh, in Ireland, and he's a lovely, I lovely man. Too, I can see – yeah, he looks pretty good. Like you look good, man. Look at it's you. A tr- it's a trim. <laughs> Is it really? Um, we're going to talk to Dr. Ed in our next segment, but you can listen in for this last uh, 120 seconds. And what I wanted to share with you, Tim, is, you know, my story has often been, you know, I can compete in these tournaments, but, you know, maybe I'm not really good enough to compete at the higher level. You know, like, you know, this summer, I, and for some reason, people seem to be surprised, but I had my best finish in a uh, provincial level tournament ever and you know i looked at the guys that finished in the top 10 and i thought wow you know what do they know that i don't know exactly and i got a chance to play with a couple of them this week and um i got a chance to play with a couple of really good guys one of which won the ontario senior am two years ago and one that finished second in the ontario am this year and I'm happy to report they're just the greatest guys, but they don't do anything differently than I do. Nothing. And, and I, you know, I could tell you a great story about dusting both of them. But the, the takeaway for me was, you know what, Howard? You know, my self-limiting beliefs is what's partly holding me back because I just imagine that they were just hitting shots that I couldn't. And I even said this to one of the guys. I said... Talk me through your winning week. 
And I said, what, what did you do differently? He said, nothing. I just happened to have some, you know, nice rounds back to back to back. That's all. He didn't Perfect do anything. example of belief system. Exactly. And, of and limiting you. Yeah. And when I left the golf course that day, I said, you know, I got to stop thinking that I'm just kind of like I should show up and be happy I'm there. Because those guys aren't. If I played with those guys every day, they would beat me some of the time. I would beat them some of the time. And we would tie some of the time. But the way I imagined it was that they were just they just had some superhuman abilities that I didn't possess. So really briefly, it, you become aware of this. And it just doesn't happen like flick, flicking a switch. The right. more you get your reps in with guys of that ability and you start to just be aware of, oh, I'm caught in my story and letting it go. That's when you'll start to you'll you'll you're and you're already doing it. It's fantastic to see. You move into this place of like letting go of the story and playing more shot by shot. And, and, just and by the way, and that wasn't about oh I'm just as good as they are. It was oh maybe I shouldn't think I'm not as good as they are. And that's what's that's holding me back. Away. Exactly. Okay, Doctor Ed Collins is standing by. We're live on. We're not live. We're on TSN uh, in uh, Hamilton, but we are around the world. On, uh, around dogs. Around dogs. Can you hear the dogs? All right. This is what I'm. This is, I, you know. This is what you do when you have a show that is broadcast from your own home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Great to be with you on this uh, golf weekend. The uh, final long weekend of the summer, but there's still lots of great golf. In fact, in Ontario, some of the best golf is uh, September, October. You know, the humidity is gone. Uh, Tim O'Connor's here. Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Uh, brought to you by TaylorMade, Adidas, and Bushnell. And uh, over the 100-plus episodes we've done... I think part, I'll speak for myself. One of the great joys of doing this show, beside the fact that I've gotten to be friends with O'Connor, is the fact that we've become friendly with some of the finest performance coaches from around the world. And one of them rejoins us again on this show. Always a pleasure to welcome uh, the very fine, uh, talented, smart. Uh, he's quite a character, kids. Uh, he is the, uh, he's the uh, guru. What's that, sir? Handsome? Uh, I, I, I'm just throwing. I'm just spitballing here. Oh, yeah, he's a handsome fella. He's a skill acquisition acquisition specialist. Uh, skill acquisition, ability by birth, skill by work. Dr. Ed Collins, yes. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> good morning uh, or, or good afternoon where I am. It's great to be great to be back on for a, a quick chat. How are we all? Well, I'm fantastic. Timmy um, suggested you, by the way, Tim. And I'm great. Yes, yes. So, so. Dr. Ed, um, we've watched Rory once again <laughs> kind of crest and go into and fall out. And, and, but what a way to end the season. I thought that was a bit of a surprise. So I thought it might be interesting to talk to you about the topic of resiliency, particularly mm -hmm. through the lens of, of Rory. Mm -hmm. And what I found is really interesting, particularly we talked about this in the first half of the show is, you know, a little bit like Spieth and some other young phenoms, off to an amazing start in his career, got four majors, and then now into a dry spell. A lot of mm -hmm. questions, you know, does Rory still have it? You know, is putting a weakness that he can't overcome? But he keeps coming back. And this year, I think, was an awesome year. He won three PGA Tour events. 
And I just thought it would be interesting to talk to you about what do you see in Rory's approach to the game that's maybe changed a bit, that's given him a bit more, made him a bit more bulletproof to the vicissitudes. How's that? Um, mm, nice. Of golf. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great question because I can I think like the vast majority of people, I'm only looking from the outside, look, looking in, you know. Uh, but 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 because he is such a fantastic interviewer, because he's so open and honest, we 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 get a lot of insights, you know, from from him. And I thought the making of the guy, because I'd be I'm a huge Rory fan. I I don't I'm not too sure I. I'm not too sure, I, but I, I, I don't. I, it, I'm sure I do not buy into some of the um, some of the criticisms he gets. You know, when you consider all the things that he must have going on around events outside of his golf game and so on and so forth, and yet for him to still do what he does, which you know, a single this season is is seen as a, a great season for him, of course. But this is a, this is a season that if any other golfer had. It would have been the all-time greatest season of their career, you know. Absolutely, right? it's Rory that we expect him to be doing it more often and every week. In fact, and I thought he what he did in Royal Port Rush at the Open was spectacular. How he handled that situation, um, incredible to start with an eight and to finish with a seven on day one. And his home course, if you will. Essentially, essentially, the course that he had the, the course record of 61 as a 16 year old, you know. Yeah. So it, I, th- I just thought his, his candor and his capacity to be able to engage with the world's media afterwards, when uh, no doubt there, may, there would have been, no, nobody would have had any problems if he just said, not now, you know, or even, even if he said, okay, I, w- I will talk to you, but it being a really short, mm-hmm. curt, um, clip interview but he didn't he he was just himself again he was honest he was forthright he was and i and even in that moment i was like what a what a player what a role model what a and again it goes back to what i was i heard you guys talking there before i came on what a narrative he must have in his head the narrative he in he has in his head to be able to balance a an opening round in his home open like that and still be saying, well, you know what? I'm going to go back to the house and my friends and family, they're still going to love me, I'm assuming. And I'm going to come out tomorrow and I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to do my best. You know, what? if I may just, first of all, I loved everything you said. And, and I, I was a, I, I'm always liked Rory McIlroy, but I'll tell you what, this summer, because of that round, I'm, I, he's now one of my favorites because, and this is a great lesson for all you guys that had a bad opening round in the club championship and didn't come back the next day. Yeah, I, you know what? There you go. I, I can tell you, I've heard story after story this summer of a guy that shot 87 in the first round or whatever the number he didn't like and never came back. And I thought, you know, two things. Not only did McElroy come back in, in a situation that we couldn't, couldn't even imagine. The other thing that happened at Royal Port Rush that I loved is David Duvall. Former number one in the world has been yeah. the, one of the best players on the planet for his entire life. He shoots ninety two, and he comes back the next day. Class act. I love that about him. And he had to yeah. go on that. You know, he's he's a commentator now, but he just said, "This is golf. Golf is tough, and it's what professionals do. You come and so, you yeah. finish. You 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 sign up for the tournament. You finish until you're not allowed to play anymore." So, Ed, so, so what do you think is going on that separates the McElroys, the Duvalls from everybody else in terms of that ability to maintain some kind of equanimity 
or sense of balance? Like, what is going on for them that allows them to do that? I, I think, and, and I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in this, the, the, the lion's share of the credit has to go to the, the player themselves, the athlete, the man, the woman, whoever. But it has to, you know, the, whatever tiny impact the others around may, may have at an athlete, it is just that. Because the athlete is ultimately the person who, who goes out there, who has to perform, who has to put their, their neck, their careers, their reputations on the line. And for all the good coaching that may be going on, around the place so many so much of it, it 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 lives and dies by whether or not the athlete takes it on themselves and that's why it's so important that what, I, what i'm going to say next it still should come back to that the lion's share of the credit goes to, to to rory now that said i think again because of his 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 forthright nature in his interviews we are getting a little insight into the little bit of light work-life balance the his 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 wife is bringing to his his approach to golf we hear him talking about him meditating. We hear him talking about just being able to separate the golf when he goes home and just being able to switch off and just do, you know, normal things and go to the cinema and go to the park. You know what I mean? Which, so that that's an impact. But again, he still has to be the guy to take on the the advice and take on that support and, and lean on that person. Yeah, say, you know, again, I'd say an incredible relationship with his long-term coach, Michael Bannon, who I, again... Not knowing that personally, but you'd hear things about their their interest to evolve, their interest to keep going back, asking tough questions. And again, that's not an easy thing to do for a coach to still keep pushing and asking tough questions. But it's even harder for the athlete to take on the tough questions and to rise to the challenge and to then go back out there and kind of try and compete when you're engaging in a task that your coach is asking you to do. And that's why. I can't. I consistently remind myself, whatever you might be doing, you know, however you, however great you think you want to make yourself, you know, in your quiet moments, and you know, you tell yourself about yourself, you know, rein it, rein it in, because they're the guys who actually go out there. They're the guys who deserve all the credit. And, and what an, easy gonna, to talk about something. What an interesting time we're. What an interesting time we're we're living in when it, in the in the general world when people are a little bit more. Uh, willing to have conversations about feelings or shadows or stories or, you know, th- this conversation um, may not have been able, to, we wouldn't have had it, let, let's say, in the late 70s. And, and what I'm getting at is Greg Norman, who arguably at the time was one of the best players that ever played golf in his era. And, and you know, the question, why didn't he win more and all the collapses and all that thing. Norman said recently, I don't know if you guys heard this, he oh. said, you know what, if I had just maybe had a mental performance coach things might have been different for him because he was from an era when men didn't talk about stuff like this when you know i was i don't know if you were still there when you know when rory mcelroy at the beginning of this year in a press conference was talking about detaching and meditating and stuff and me and tim are like yes you know we're all excited but you know that's pretty new stuff for athletes golfers most conservative sport in the world and then mm-hmm. to hear Norman say that, you know, that mm. that all those years he might have benefited from maybe having more conversations with Rotella. But, but again, I think that's what he even adds to the superstar that is McElroy. Because he knows uh, the guy who's number 200 in the world or 500 in the world could say this and it'll just disappear. Whatever McElroy says is said with 50 microphones in front of him and dictaphones. And it's been 
boomed all over the world on live feeds and Instagram and Periscope and Twitter. And so for him to say it, it makes it, it, it does make a difference. But then for, not only then for him to say it, but then for him to back it up and to right. live it. That's just, again, that's where it comes back. That's where I come back to. That's where the, the awe needs to be on the athlete. And I'm saying this to the coaches out there. Make sure, you know, never get in the, never lose sight of the tiniest, the, 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 the infinitesimal element or impact that you can have on a person because ultimately they're the ones who've got to do it. Right. Well, what I find really interesting is that I think that Rory has put a stake in the ground for who he is hmm. and that, that I'm Rory. And whether I win another major or not, or win another damn tournament, it doesn't, this has no bearing on who I am and the people in my life and what gives my life, what makes me feel value, what gives me sense of fulfillment in the world. It has nothing to do with uh, the number of trophies I hold up. Um, people ask Rory, it's really interesting to me is that particularly the, the European media, more of the tabloids, They've been taking shots at Rory for this whole thing of the way he's been saying, you know, uh, you know, he's been reading books like digital minimalism. Uh, he's been meditating. So I go, yeah, right, Rory. And, you know, they scoff at it because it buys into the narrative that men uh, aren't supposed to sh- aren't supposed to disclose what they're really thinking and feeling. Yeah. So he's taking these shots. But what I love, it, we're all on the same page here, is that it takes a, a man of courage and strength to say, this is what happened for me, but that's not what drives my life. It's not about winning. Really, I mean, how much more freaking money does Rory McIlroy need anyway? Especially after this weekend. I I do disagree with one thing, though, and I don't know why. I want to get both of your reactions. I disagree with Doc when you say that the effect that a, a, a coach can have on a player is minimal. Well, I I disagree in this way. You know, you have to be open, and you're right. He had to be the one to go out and buy into this philosophy and and still have to execute the shots. But I think you need, I think a golfer, an athlete, and and people just in general need a sounding board from somebody. And and in in your cases, the two of you, I think it, it benefits people greatly because it opens up pathways that they would have maybe not explored prior. I, yeah, and I, I agree, and I, I really like what you said there, just about the, the pathways. But again, when I look at, I look at, I, I still come back to that idea that for all the conversations I may have with the guys that I work for, they're still the guys that have to take on the mantle of actually going out and competing, of yep. putting the ball on the tee on the first tee, and I, and and then it'd be so easy for me to be like. Oh, yeah, but we talked about that. Why didn't you do it? <laughs> exactly. Because golf is chaos. But, but uh, come on, dude. We, we talked about that twice. And that's twice we talked about it. We've talked about that three times. <laughs> it's so easy for, and I know this. I know this as, I know this from my own stuff. I know that that years gone by, I would have kind of gotten, uh, you know, caught up with, with my role. Whereas now I'm saying, no, you know, I have a huge responsibility to be accountable for what I put in front of the athletes. Right. The, the stimulus that I put in front of them, the challenges I put in front of them, the questions I post them, whatever else. Because if they're going to take it, take it on and put their livelihoods on, because they're the ones that everyone sees, I that that just brings in me to, I just need to make sure that I 
watch my P's and Q's and really check myself because it's, it, 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 as I was saying, it is a small thing, but it can also be something that can take them away. But ultimately, I still come back to it. They are the ones who, when I'm sitting at home, when the work is done and they're away, <laughs> they're the ones who are putting it on the line, which is the most difficult part of the entire puzzle. Absolutely, because so much of what we do is based, as we were talking earlier, about a belief system and habitual patterning. I mean, we are, we're various decades old, <laughs> and we all, have these cert- yes, we all have these certain ways that we have navigated our way through the world, some of which, uh, some of which are, have allowed us to, to do certain things, but there's cost to some of them, and we follow these habitual patterns. So, so Dr. Ed, how do you see sort of belief systems, you know, when people, what they really say about themselves kind of in their worst moments, how does that come into play in terms of this ability to, to transition and transform from an old way of being into a new way of being? Brilliant question, because it's a pertinent question for something I'm doing right now with a few guys. And the, uh, in fact, any of the guys that I work with will will if they listen into this, they'll be like, yeah, we're having that conversation, which is skeletons in the closet. Unresolved issues from their plain background, their personal background, whatever. And I think it comes back to that. The, the capacity of them to be willing to go back and find the, that initial element or that initial trigger or that initial stimulus that caused them to have this negative narrative or this reactive narrative when things go go poorly and and i and i mean it i'm coaching a long time but coaching where it's a livelihood thing for athletes nearly 20 years at this stage i'd say and i've yet to come across a single player or even a player within a team that doesn't have skeletons in the closet everybody does as part of being a human being if we if we can actually go back and make peace with that we can then go forward really quickly let me uh, throw something by you, uh, fine gentlemen. You know, uh, on the show, I've documented it. I've been very candid, sharing some of the outrageous golf rage stories. But also, in, in my act, I talk about, you know, being the worst, you know, road rage person I ever met. I do this joke about a guy gave me the finger in downtown Toronto once, and I chased him to a different city so I could give him the finger back. Now, the audience laughs. laughs. The audience laughs, and I say, no, no, okay, it wasn't quite that far, but I chased him further than a grown person should. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is what I learned over time was, you know, I used to think that you could act one way in practice and another way in competition. You know, I would be pouting, petulant, sulking, all those things, but thinking that I would go to a tournament and all would be well. And, of course, you know, it's not. But the reason I bring it back to road rage is because I've even noticed now over time, the last few years especially, like I left that tournament, Tim and I were playing together in a little team competition. I left Blue Springs last Saturday, Tim, at 5 to 6, and it's a 45-minute ride to my girlfriend's house. But two hours and five minutes later, I arrived. My point is, so in that ride, I had a choice. Was I going to freak out? Was I going to be all pissed off? Or was I going to listen to, you know, 70s on 7 and sing along with some yacht rock? The, the point I'm trying to make is I'm now practicing that behavior 
constantly so that when I go to the golf course and I make a, a nine on a par four in competition, the next hole is just the next hole. But that took practice. And I'm, I'm just going to finish up by saying it takes practice because one of the skeletons in my closet was I was such a rageaholic in my real life. How did I expect to be any different when mm. I was in any kind of pressure in a golf mm. match, Tim? Yeah, well, one of the themes that we've been on for the last couple of months is the length of time it takes. When you have this awareness of where you want to move to, where you are and what you want to move to, we've been talking about uh, Charles Fitzsimmons, a friend of ours, PhD in sports psychology. For two years, two freaking years, he's been working on detachment and acceptance. It finally started to become part of who he is. So, Dr. Ed, how do you work with athletes, and what can you offer our listeners about they know they operate a certain way and they want to work, they want to change. How do you, how do you move through that? How do you disrupt how do you make patterns? that change? Yeah, I, again, good question. So again, one of the things that I would, one of the things that, I, that I'm very strong on is to, to set out the parameters of patience at the start of the process. And it, it, that, that in itself is enough sometimes for it to be decided that a, guy, a player and I don't work with each other. It right. is those those players who are who are prepared to say, "Whoa, that you, you're you're painting a pretty tough picture about how long this could take," and and actually, you know what? I'm prepared to I'm prepared to go through the the the, the tough stuff, the dark stuff, because you also paint a picture about the lightness that it, that is ahead, and I'm prepared to to go through that. And that's where I feel I'm I'm very fortunate with some of the guys I'm working for at the moment because they've bought into the patience. Of the of of the of the requ- the required patience of what's you know of what's going to take them to that place. There isn't this rush now. In the exact same way, if there isn't this rush, we're always rushing. I, it would be fantastic if they happened tomorrow, which is the, the the stimulus to keep us pushing. But then we also have the acceptance that you know what it mightn't happen till the next tomorrow. So let's have that balance going on all the that tug of war of I want it now. But I also I'm prepared to to wait because I know how important it is, and that and we we're constantly talking about that patience because it goes back to a point you made there about the preparation. I should be doing it in this, and I was really fortunate yesterday. I had a day where uh, where I just hung out with one of my favorite coaches, Peter Arnott in Scotland. I don't know, do you guys aware of him? If you're not, do you got to get him on this? He would he just blow your mind mind away. And I went yesterday to watch him coach for the day. And we were, we were chatting with one of his players about their warm-up. And it was just incredible. The warm-up that, you know, Peter was saying, I didn't like this or that. And the player was saying, okay, I need to change this. And it's the kind of, the, the, the eventual conversation went around to how his warm-up is probably a warm-up that's going to be right for him. It's probably not a warm-up I would do with anyone else. Right. He's prepared to go through a little bit of patience and go through a little bit of a process of trying to find that warm-up that is actually better than it needs to be. <laughs> To find what it actually is, well, then it will be tailor made to him. But we got to just uh, we got to jump in because as always with Doctor Ed, it just we we have four hours of stuff we have to get into twenty five minutes, and uh, we have to <laughs> we're going to wrap up here on the radio show. I don't know, Timmy. Uh, you said you had a hard out at some point, but we might have to do a little bit of a podcast extra. Uh, Tim, a couple final thoughts, and then we have to say goodbye. Well, what Ed, what you're talking about, I think, is when you say rushing. 
through the patients is <clears throat> keeping the work in front of us all the time. It's like knowing what we need to work on and keep working on it so that we can integrate it. Because if we don't keep it in front of us, we fall back in our old habits. Absolutely. And, that, and that's where this is so key. Engage. Don't be afraid to reflect. And, and, we, and if it comes up with something ugly, go after that one. That's probably the good stuff. You know, our right. friend, how this all started for me was uh, years ago, our friend Paul Doolin, who works with some tour players in the States, he, he kind of talked me through how long this was all going to take. And he said at some point, you know, the old... Uh, unconscious conscious incompetence that thing at some point you become unconscious of your mental competence and uh, and i had a very um you know visceral example of that this summer timmy as you know like i'm in competition in the second round of a tournament i want to make the cut and all of a sudden i make a nine on a hole and my proud my proudest moment is the next number on my scorecard was a two and if you can make a nine and your next number is a two for me, that just like that was unconscious. I was unconscious going to the next tee that all right. would be well. I just Brilliant. knew. Here's what I knew. I didn't know Brilliant. what the score was going to turn out to be, but I knew I'd be okay. That I, went from 11 to, I went to 11 to 4. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen, uh, kids. Uh, thanks very much to TaylorMade, Adidas, and Bushnell. Dr. Ed Collins, follow him on Twitter. You know, I, I should know this. Um, is there? What's the website again? Uh, my, that's a good one. My, my website hasn't seen sight nor sound of anything new in about. Perfect. <laughs> so just Twitter. Twitter's the best one. At Doctor Skillack. Uh, Tim O'Connor at O'ConnorGolf.ca. Tim, uh, great being with you as always. And, of course, the Humble and Fred Show at HumbleandFredRadio.com. And you can uh, find us all over the world. Uh, I don't know what kind of time Tim has, but we'll probably do a little bit of a podcast extra. So if you go and check out more with Dr. Ed, Tim, and I. And until then, we'll see you next week, everybody. You get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. But meantime... Down on the river, you stop and you hold everything. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. You feel alright when you hear the music play. Uh, all right, here's our little podcast extra. I don't know, uh, Timmy. I do. You, what? How long do you five have? Minutes. Okay, five, five minutes. Okay, five minutes, everybody. Uh, so I'll have, to, I'll have to like rip myself away from this microphone because we're into some juicy stuff, man. So this let's get back cool. to uh, what we were talking about at the end of the last segment, and uh, and this will be good for people who, again, because what you missed a little bit Ed, is that Tim and I were talking about self beliefs, and as golfers, and some people they're just comfortable being a ninety shooter. They'd like mm-hmm. to shoot in the eighties, but every time they get close, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the mm-hmm. example of you know I've talked to Ed, and I've been you know friends with Tim for a long time, and in I can tell you that as much work as I've done, you know, there was there's definitely something in my makeup as a golf player that makes me think I didn't deserve somehow to be in the same, you know, whatever. And after I played in the Ontario Seniors a month ago, I looked at everyone's score and I thought, you know, I made a, a quintuple bogey, which is a nine, and I made a triple bogey. So on two holes out of 54, I was uh, eight over par. If I just make double bogeys on those holes, I finish in the top 10 in the tournament. If I par those holes, I'm fifth or sixth in the tournament. And I, I say that everyone can, everyone can say if I did, if I should. But not, I don't make a lot of nines. 
And the point I'm trying to make is it kind of was a, a bit of a wake-up call to me because, A, I didn't even play that well. B, I felt mentally very strong that week. My short game was good. But as far as ball striking goes, you wouldn't have thought – I didn't feel like I had my good stuff. And so I thought, mm-hmm. well, what if what if I did have my good stuff? What would that number be? Mm-hmm. Because what I learned from playing with those guys this week is they just had their good stuff that week. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, you know, that's great. And I think I think that you you hit on something that's quite important there, and it's what we were we were chatting about during the the main recording is that idea of of that narrative of that. Yeah, I think that's where I was talking about that unresolved issues, those skeletons in the closet, because I'm struck by how personal golfers take. Yes, and I get it. These the oh, guys yeah. I work with are, pro, are professional golfers, so it is a livelihood thing with them, but. It is. It's way too personal. And then when I go back a little bit and dig a little bit with them, we find out it, it, it's been personal for a long time, long before they were pros. It was personal. It defined them. It defined them with about who they are for themselves, with their friends, with their family, with the uh, others outside that circle. So you're the golf guy, you know, and oh, oh how's it going? And it's always about this personal thing as opposed to what's just my my job and somebody's right. gonna have good days, somebody is gonna have bad days and that's a that's a challenge but again i'm finding myself having to go back back a lot before i can go forward with people and then once you kind of get through that stuff going forward is really easy it's really fast in fact timmy right well that that's a key part of of transitioning or transforming to anything is making peace with the past and taking a look at it and and a lot of people they just don't want to do that. Whether it's the job's not going well, the relationship, or their golf, it, it's it's invariably connected to something that happened with family of origin or something in your past, and you haven't made peace with that. Mm-hmm. And that and and what happens is we take those events unconsciously and we create a narrative, and it's often defined as as I am this, I am a loser, I am not trustworthy i am not worthy of love or whatever i'm a choker mm-hmm. and when you go back into that and, and and really in talking about these things it's freeing it's releasing it's it's um forget uh, the word cathartic yes and when we let go of that stuff it is freeing it's like the it's like the toxin that's roiling around in our stomach and we get rid of it and it just feels good and what we find is in the act of doing that it's freeing. And every time we do that, that's a key part of people in post-traumatic stress disorder. The most effective treatment for those people is to relive the experience as, as, as visceral and as the same emotion. And the more they do that, the more they start to come out of it. And they find that I survived it. And the more they get through it, and, and they finally get... And so that's pretty dramatic, I know. But for so for golfers... It's the same work. It's going back, kind of like, oh, yeah, my dad, my mom, my phys ed coach, my whatever. But we survive when we look at this stuff. We go back at it and go, look, I didn't die. Yeah. And you, and you can gradually move forward. So I have to split. So 
Uh, I'm interested in your question, which I'll listen to later. But uh, I got. Wait a uh, second. You just Howard asked says, a 10 minute question and you're just going to leave without hearing the answer. I, I don't <laughs> well, I'm going to do like the, our listeners do. I'm going to uh, I'm going to tune in and listen to it. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm just going to ask this question. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'll just leave the room now. Well, um, because I'm ahead. a man of my word and you I've are, made a commitment to. to be somewhere right, and I go. got to go. Go. So. Uh, go. All right. So uh, take care, guys. Bye, cool. Timmy. Wait, see you, Tim. Chat soon. Chat soon. Uh, what happened there? Oh, he he ended he he ended the meeting. Well, there you go. Uh, I know what we'll do here. Ed, hang on a second here. I call Ed on uh, Skype because Tim just ended the meeting. There's Ed. I'm calling you on Skype. See, Tim's the host of that meeting. See what happened there is Tim's the host of that meeting. I, I just saw that. <laughs> just saw that. Here, turn your yeah. You don't, you don't have to. Can you turn your? Oh, you got your camera on. There you are. Um, well, why don't why don't you? Here's what we'll do. Why don't you speak to that question? Then we'll wrap up the show and uh, and you and I'll talk yeah, next Wednesday. What, what I liked, I, uh, one thing I liked about what Tim said there was just you know he had said I know this is a little dramatic and I said well you know I, I'm not too sure if it is that dramatic you know. It, it may be a little. It may be a little heavy to some people, but to other people, you know, what they say one one person's drama is another person's walk in the park, you know. And I think that's the important thing is is for it is it for it to be okay for anything to be on the table for discussion, especially in that time when you're trying to go back to find out what are these lingering behaviors that are causing these destructive behaviors. There, there's a weird thing, and I, and I, I just have been struck by the notion of belief systems and stories. But you know, one of the things I've read in some of the, the philosophy books that I'm interested in is that just because you think it's true doesn't necessarily mean it's true. That that your notion of yourself as a person, as a player, as a as a friend. It, they're just notions. It's you know, people always say, "Oh, change is so difficult." But one of the things that's that prevents change is that people believe or they have this weird thing that they won't recognize themselves should they not be that person, whether they are drinking or overeating or whatever. And and I think in a, in a certain way, that's been my experience with golf. Like, you know, I'm sort of a comfortable, you get comfortable being who you are mm-hmm. and changing that is difficult, whether it's psychoanalysis or just trying to become a better golf player. As inane, as inane as that sounds, that's why golf is such a great reflector of who you are as a person because you yeah. show up as who you really are. Yeah, I agree. There's a there's a sports psych. I do a lot of work with um, Kieran Shannon is his name, and and he he brought me to this quote. You know, what got you here won't get you there, and and that 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 idea of well, what what, what, what got brought you, you here won't get you well, there. Yeah. yeah. So so that idea of well, you know what. If you don't change, you're not going That's anywhere right. anyway. Yeah, I, I've been so, I, embrace if you if you can embrace the fact that this is going to be challenging. This yes. is going to get ugly. Then 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 the the and I don't mean the 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 material riches, but the riches, the life riches, are just so abundant because you'll be free to yeah. really taste what's around you. And, and Tim was talking about that that word freedom, and mm-hmm. you know what what I've really noticed this summer in competition. Is that, and I've made it one of my intentions was how freely can I swing this golf club? Mm-hmm. How, and and it, to 
Because I, if I'm going to go on the trees, I want to go on the trees having really ripped one. I don't want to <laughs> go in guiding it in the trees because that yeah. makes me feel shitty. Like, yeah. I want to just roast it. Because then at least you're like, well, I t- you know, I, I took a good crack at that. But here's my favorite quote lately. How you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. And that's why when I left the golf course last Saturday night and I kept texting my girl, hey, I think that's 7 o'clock reservations. <laughs> that's a dream. Because I, I remained as I remained very calm that two hours because that's how I do everything everything now so now i I got a tournament i tee off in a couple hours it's one of the oldest golf tournaments in canada at one of the oldest golf courses prestigious golf tournament all the guys that i play against in those amateur tournaments are all going to be there today and after tuesday when i played that round with those guys i was like well come friday my goals are different because i never go i you and you know me a little bit i have never gone into a competition i'll be honest with everyone thinking i was going to win or i had a chance to win not that I have expectations, but I'm going. I looked at the looked at the, the the roster of guys, and I'm like, I'm just as good as everybody, if not better. So for the, I'm going in that tournament today, thinking I have every right, as much as anyone else, to expect if I play decent, I have a chance to win. Yes. That's, Are you open to the possibility that that when the opportunity presents itself, you're ready to take it? Right, and I quote you all the time. Every round of golf, I hit world-class golf shots. I just do. I just and, and and so you can't get to your handicap unless you actually do that. Yeah, and in fact, you can't get to your handicap unless you do that a lot. In fact, such is the simple, the simple algorithm that is golf. You, it's like people talk about being lucky fine if there's a little bit of luck in here but you cannot get to the, as low as you are without being able to play and have a incredible control of the golf ball on a regular basis <laughs> but isn't, so, the, isn't the irony is that controlling the golf ball doesn't get you the scores controlling well, yourself yeah which as i said earlier i've learned that i can control myself having said that i think i have a chance to win today when i get there and if I'm out there in the in out at sea, as I say, and it's not going my way, I also know that I'll still be fine. Yeah, that because yeah. I because I've got evidence of being fine. Patience. That's what I mean about the patience. The work you're doing by staying comfortable with yourself on the days that it's not going well is the work that's going to pay off on the day that it actually all falls into place for you. Exactly. Because it, you'll be you'll you'll already have primed yourself to be comfortable when you find yourself with four holes to go leading the event, and you'd be like, "Well, just going to let this happen." Yeah. Well, when we talk next week, I'll tell you because I, I, I got to wrap it up too. But I got I got to tell you, I've had a lot of rounds lately where the opposite has happened. I've started off ridiculous. I, it's two Wednesdays ago, I started a tournament. Four, I was four under after five. And fucking vibrating. (laughs) Like, it was crazy. And my buddy was like, well, I thought you were all about, you know, not knowing where you are in the tournament. I said, dude, I'd only played five holes. I birdied almost all of them. Of course, of course, I knew where I was. I literally lipped out. the. I could have been five in a row. Of course, I had a sense of, well, and it was so unexpected that I got on the sixth tee. I was sort of uh, completely out of my element. Anyway, I'll talk. We're going to talk about that because that speaks to a big point that I again I was speaking. I've spoken a lot about with Peter Arnott, that guy I mentioned, is about momentum. I think momentum in golf is a complete fallacy. 
So that speaks to what you just mentioned there. So we'll go, we'll, we'll dig into that on Wednesday. All right, Dr. Ed, all the best to you. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you as always. There you go, Dr. Ed Collins. All right, my brother, take care on the uh, podcast extra. Uh, we got to turn him off there. He shuts that down. And uh, I'll just say now that Tim's gone, now that Ed's gone, we really do appreciate you all listening. If you could share it, you know, on Facebook, that would be great. Go on to our Swing Thoughts page. You know, we really don't do a whole lot there, but, you know, it would be great to have you weigh in on what you've heard. And uh, we'll see you all uh, next week.